if you keep exposing yourself to gluten over a lifetime, even if you're normal, that opens up the floodgates for inflammation in the body. And then the person is wondering, why am I overweight? Why do I feel tired? Why is my brain foggy? And don't realize that it's actually because your gut and your gut microbiome are completely imbalanced. If you want to live like you matter, ditch the pills, look great, and feel freaking amazing, you're in the right place. I'm Dr. Wendy Trubo. I'm Dr. Ed Levitan. Welcome to the Five Journeys Podcast. Where we empower you to live a vibrant and healthy life by optimizing your structural, chemical, emotional, social, and spiritual lives. Hang on to your hats. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Five Journeys Podcast, Live Like You Matter. I'm Dr. Wendy Trubo. This is Dr. Ed Levitin, and our guest today is Dr. Vincent Pedri. He is the founder of Dr. Pedri Wellness, CEO, founder of Happy Gut Life, and his newest book, The Gut Smart Protocol, is the culmination of years of research and clinical experience as a functional gut health expert. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, what a pleasure. Yeah. Very excited to have you. Very excited to talk about one of our favorite subjects, which is the gut. What actually does it mean to have a healthy gut? Well, first of all, it means that your gut is producing all the right amount of enzymes and very importantly, um, hydrochloric acid in the stomach because a lot of people are walking around with low stomach acid, either because they're highly stressed and their vagus nerve is shut off. So they're not getting those signals to turn on that, that acid production. And two, because the second most prescribed medication worldwide are proton pump inhibitors that basically raise your stomach pH to four or five, which is not a good pH to digest and break down protein. So, you know, having adequate enzyme production, having a healthy pancreas, having a healthy bile production and bile release. It's a really high bar, Vincent. Like you've already set the bar too high for most of us. I know I'm setting the bar really high. And then, and then having a, a gut barrier that is permeable, but not too permeable, you know, because our, our gut barrier is meant to allow things to come through but you don't want to let inflammatory substances enter the body. And a lot of people are walking around with leaky gut. I think it's hard to, to figure out how many people are, but when you start thinking about all of the ramifications of leaky gut and all of the, the gut-related health issues that can happen in the rest of the body because of leaky gut, you have to think that probably at least 80% of the world population is walking around with some level of, of leaky gut. I think we need to dive into this because when you think about, <clears throat> so I am a celiac. And so this is one of my passion plays too. So you're talking my language. I don't think that people realize that when you are someone who has one or both of the celiac genes, which is DQ2 or DQ8, and about 40% of the population has one or both, one or the other or both, that you have higher levels of this weird, weirdly named receptor called CXCR3. And when the body sees the particles of gluten, it binds to them. You have more of them. You upregulate zonulin production. And zonulin is the first dis discovered substance that causes your tight junctions to open, in, a sense, in essence, causing leaky gut. 
So, so anyone who has the gene and eats gluten causes that to happen for up to four hours at a time. And, and so what you create is a scenario where you have leaky gut the whole day that's caused by the food we're eating. Now, if you don't have the genes, you open your tight junctions for about 15 minutes, which is better than four hours, but is still opening your tight junctions, allowing everything from the outside world, the bacteria, the toxins, the food particles, the bacteria, I said bacteria twice, those bacteria bad, all through. And, and I think it's a, I think it's a multi-hit uh, hypothesis. So people think, well, I've, I've been fine, so I'll be fine. Uh, the oldest patient that I've diagnosed with celiac disease was a woman who was 52 years old. And she had autoimmune thyroid. She wasn't feeling well. Her thyroid function was actually, um, her thyroid was regulated. So we had balance of thyroid. And still there were things that just, she, her energy was low. She wasn't feeling well. And I said, you know, we there, there's a strong connection between thyroid, autoimmune thyroid, and celiac. We need to check your genetics. She's from her family's from Scotland, so again, people from Northern UK, from Ireland, they tend to have those genetics. And no one had thought about this. And let's go back twenty plus years when I was in medical school. In medical school, we were taught that celiac disease is a diagnosis that is made during the early years. So it's it was something that you paid attention in pediatrics and it was caught really early on. So then to think that I might have a 52 year old woman being diagnosed with celiac for the first time in her life was kind of mind blowing at the time as I was learning functional medicine and I ran her, her numbers and I'm pretty sure, I'm just going by memory, I think she was, positive for one of the markers, but I sent her for an endoscopy and she had celiac. There was no question. And did you check bone density? Because she probably didn't have very much of it. I know, right? Well, the <laughs> oldest patient I ever had was in her 70s. She got diagnosed in her 70s. And so you're definitely right because, you know, if 30%, 40% of the population has the gene, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get celiac, but it means you could get celiac. And I think it's actually, I think it's it's really important what you said earlier, because uh, there there was a study where they looked at, you know, what is the effect of of gluten on gut permeability on three different groups of people, celiac people with celiac disease, people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is estimated. So celiac is what like one to two percent of the, the population. Non-celiac gluten sensitivity might get that up to eight ten percent, and then everybody else who's normal. And you would think, well, if you're normal and you're not, not having any reactions when you eat gluten, you're fine. You're not going to have an increase in intestinal permeability. But in this study, they found that they still did. You know, the celiac had the highest increase. The non-celiac had the second highest. But there was it, the people were normal and exposed to gluten. It wasn't zero. They had a mild increase. So you have to think that if you keep exposing yourself to gluten over a lifetime, even if you're normal, if you expose yourself to too much gluten, you're increasing, you're opening that gate every time. And, and then that, like you said, opens up the floodgates for inflammation in the body. And then the person is wondering, why am I overweight? Why can't I lose weight? 
Why do I feel tired? Why is my brain foggy? You know, and all these things that you you start to attribute to getting older and you think, well, it's just aging, you know, I'm just uh, getting older and don't realize that it's actually because your your gut and your gut microbiome are completely imbalanced. Right. right. Well, I want to actually take us away for a second because you you two are glued to the gluten thing, but I really want to make sure. That's actually what gluten means in, in Latin is glue. Like I said, I'm going to take us glue. away from the gluten thing for a minute. People drink a lot of alcohol these days. People take antibiotics. People take a, PPIs, a lot of proton pump inhibitors. People take a lot of uh, NSAIDs. Wait, they're stressed. You they're, skip the stress or you're getting to that. I'm you can get there I'm a little taking, faster. I'm taking stuff. <laughs> so they're taking a lot of pain medicine for ouchies. Ow, my head hurts. That means I have a deficiency in ibuprofen or something of that nature. And, and yes, the genetics are there. And even if the genetics aren't there, the gluten's there. And that's probably, for some people, that might be enough. But for the majority of people, I think that's not enough. I think it's all the other habits we have that are adding to that. I 100% agree that it's not just one thing. It's the combination of, of everything. You know, for one, antibiotics and stress, uh, because stress is like an attack on the gut. And stress will cause changes in the gut microbiome. And then, you know, throw the stress in. Usually a person who's stressed is also having a drink because they're stressed. And that's their way to relax. But alcohol itself is an anti antiseptic, right? Like we use alcohol to clean surfaces. We use alcohol to wipe the skin before you do a blood draw. So if you're drinking alcohol, it's actually going to affect your gut microbiome. And then by proxy, it's going to lead to increase in gut permeability and increases in inflammation and secretion of interleukins and, you know, all sorts of inflammatory cytokines. And unfortunately, a lot of medications that are over the counter, which people would think, well, they're over the counter, they're approved, they're, they're benign, they're fine. Um, even acetaminophen. So there was a study I found that showed that acetaminophen causes changes in the gut microbiome that can lead to increase in intestinal permeability. So we used to think, well, um, acetaminophen is safe. Um, avoid ibuprofen because it can affect your stomach, can cause ulcer, it can increase gut permeability. But acetaminophen is not quite innocent. And we know it also can cause uh, liver damage. Well, it depletes the glutathione stores. And, and then you can't detox. And, and another thing that's really common and, uh, you know, this is a, this is a tough one because you don't want to have an unwanted pregnancy, but birth control pills also increase gut permeability. So to someone who's listening, how would they start to map onto their lives that this might be pertinent for them? What they're going to feel is what I call gut-related symptoms. So there's gut-centric symptoms and there's gut-related symptoms. Gut-centric, everybody knows. I've got a bellyache, I'm bloated, I'm constipated, I'm gassy. There are symptoms that happen inside your gut, and most likely they're related to a gut issue. Sometimes they're not, but most of them are. The ones that are tricky is when you've got eczema, you've got psoriasis, you're breaking out in hives. You feel fatigued, your joints are achy, your brain is foggy, you have migraines, you get sick often, you get recurrent sinus infections. All these things are signs that you have leaky gut and they're the, the, the downstream effects 
of having that increase intestinal permeability is it causes all of these problems in other parts of your body that you would think are unrelated. Even dementia has connections to, to leaky gut and development of Alzheimer's and all that has uh, connections to the gut microbiome. Well, isn't it, we're now finding out the, that leaky gut can be related to leaky brain and all sorts of wonderful things and leaky leaky other everything else that could be leaky and mental health yeah i didn't i didn't mention that but depression and anxiety uh there was a study that came out in at the end of last year where they had looked at over a thousand people and they looked at their gut microbiome and looked at correlations between those that were depressed and those that weren't and they found that the gut microbiomes were different and there were 13 different taxa of bacteria that were related to depression that were not necessarily found in people that were not depressed. And some of them were, I, I kind of, I think these names are funny because I think they're almost like uh, Disney villains. Uh, one is called Agorthella and another one is Hungatella. And I didn't realize, uh, so when I was researching my book, I had not run into this. I was looking at the connections between uh, the gut and heart disease and through the metabolism of uh, things like L-carnitine that comes from red meat or phosphatidylcholine from shellfish, and that gets metabolized by gut bacteria into TMA, trimethylamine. Well, Hungatella is one of those bacteria that converts those nutrients into TMA. And that TMA then goes through the portal circulation into the liver, where it gets converted by another enzyme into TMAO. And we were talking about genetics earlier, it's dependent on genetics. So some people are going to be higher converters and some people are going to be lower converters. And of course, then it depends on the balance of your diet. But that TMAO, which increases the risk for heart disease and stroke by double, regardless of what your baseline cholesterol is. Um, I also, when I was looking at this study on depression, learned that TMAO is also connected to depression as well. And asthma. I want to add in asthma to me as someone has a leaky gut and, and I, and it's personal because I stopped having asthma when I stopped having gluten. <laughs> and I used to be able to tell I had been exposed because I would have an asthma attack and I'd be like, oh, I must've had a gluten exposure. I, I think it's important to highlight that because a lot of people out there are walking around with environmental allergies and they'll go to their doctor and they'll give them an antihistamine. Again, it's it's the top-down approach versus the bottom-up approach, looking at the root cause and dealing with it from the inside versus the outside. And what really started surprising me when I when I you know really got into functional medicine and started working with people on their gut health is they would come in and tell me, uh, "Doc, I don't I my allergies. I I don't have allergies this this spring." And I noted for myself that. As I worked on my gut health and I started kind of really refining my approach, that my patients would come in and they would be, their noses would be running, their eyes would be red, and I felt nothing. And they, and you would hear, look, turn on the news and they're, they're saying it's the worst allergy season in a while. And the only time I would feel it was when it was a mechanical issue, because if the pollen counts were really high in the air, you get pollen sediment on your eyelids. And so I would feel it in my eyes. My eyes would start to burn a little bit. But otherwise, 
I wouldn't feel anything in my airways. And I saw that with patients and also with uh, breathing issues, with asthma, um, just taking out food sensitivities, rebalancing the gut microbiome, creating, when you, when you promote a healthy gut microbiome, microbial diversity, that gut microbiome is going to speak to your immune system and it's going to create a balance between those T17 cells and those T regulatory cells that basically come in and regulate and, and change the way your body is reacting to your environment. And that to me was a huge aha because I had, I like every doctor thought, oh, allergies there due to these pollen and these things that are coming outside of the body. It's nothing to do with what's happening on the inside. And yet your, your insides basically dictate how severely you react to the outside world. Interesting. So um, how would you know if you had leaky gut? Yeah, one thing I did uh, in my book, The Gut Smart Protocol, is I created a quiz with a score, and that score divides people into mild, moderate, or severe. And the more severe, the more higher your score, pretty much you have leaky gut. And as a clinician, it's funny because over the years that I've practiced functional medicine, spoken to my other functional medicine colleagues who've been doing it for much longer than I have, um, and I used to teach for the Institute for Functional Medicine, and it, it was interesting because you, you start with wanting to do all these tests and then where I saw everybody going is like, oh yeah, I don't really do testing anymore because I just ask a really thorough history and the history tells me what's going on with the patient. And I think that's happened to a lot of us because we noted that we did the testing and we did the history and we just kept finding that the test just basically confirmed what we already knew from speaking with the person. There's no perfect test for intestinal permeability. So there's a lactulose mannitol test, but it's not perfect. It picks up increase in intestinal permeability in the small intestine, but you have diseases like Parkinson's where the intestinal permeability increases in the large intestine, not the small intestine. But also you can look at uh, almost like, um, I think of it like Plato, like looking at the shadows. So you're not looking directly, but you're using evidence of an immune response to say that there is an increase in intestinal permeability. So you can look at antibodies to zonulin. You can look at antibodies to actin and vinculin, which are cytoskeletal protein structures that um, are used in the tight junctions. So if you have those antibodies, you assume, okay, the, the tight junctions are getting broken down, the immune system is being exposed to it, but it's not a direct measure of intestinal permeability. It's just an indirect way of looking at it. You can also look at anti-lipopolysaccharide, anti-LPS endotoxin antibodies. And if they're present, again, assume there is increased intestinal permeability. Uh, with IBS, there can be anti-cytolethal distending toxin antibodies as well. Yeah. So how do you clean? How do you start healing? Because it pretty much sounds, and I've seen it in my practice, and I think our practice is the majority of people you can say that have an issue you want to treat their gut. You want to make sure that their micro, gut microbiome is amazing, that they're, they don't have, they clean up the leaky gut as much as they can, et cetera. So how, where do you start? How do you start healing? Always with the gut. But one thing, one thing that I have noted, uh, and this is after over 
a decade of really actually more than 15 years of working with uh, gut patients at this point is that the diet and knowing what types of supplements to take and if you're going to use a probiotic or not a probiotic and when to introduce uh, fiber and fermented foods because not everyone can eat these at at the same time especially if you have severe gut issues but the other thing that I've really come to realize is that it doesn't matter how good the diet is, and it doesn't matter if you're taking the perfect supplements, if you're still living a very stressed out lifestyle. So all of it has to happen at the same time. And mindset, you know, I, I, I used to talk to my patients about that in meditation and breath work, and, and they would go out and they would they would do the diet part, but they would come back and say, oh, no, I didn't get to the meditation part, but I'm still kind of not feeling right. And and they just keep focusing on the diet. And I keep telling them, you know, that elephant in the room over here, you know, that, that high stress lifestyle that you live is basically blocking your body's ability to heal itself. And it's not one or the other. It's It's this and meditation, breath work, mindfulness, like changing your internal circuitry, because if you if your vagus nerve is not activated, if you have low vagal tone, if you're not in that parasympathetic drive, that balance between sympathetics and parasympathetics, that fight or flight and that rest and relaxed mode, your body cannot heal itself. So, I mean, that's always the challenge. And at least in my clinical practice, that's, that's, it's easy enough to say, okay, do this diet, take these supplements. It's a doing this, you know, it's really clear doing this well, is much easier than changing your being beingness. This. Yeah. Changing your mindset. I like how you said that beingness. I think people think it's, uh, uh, people think that it's difficult. You know, they think they, when we talk about meditation and breath work, they're probably thinking a yogi sitting in an ashram, like, you know, like away from all the stress. And, and it doesn't have to be that difficult. And I start people with just, I'll tell them, just set your clock to five minutes. I'm going to teach you how to do deep diaphragmatic breathing. And you're just going to practice deep diaphragmatic breathing, which I actually have those instructions in my book for 10 minutes. I mean, or for five minutes, it doesn't matter. Because um, what ha usually happens is those five minutes go by like that when you're doing deep diaphragmatic breathing. And then what I'll do is I'll tell them, well, let's combine that. We're going to do a deep breath, deep diaphragmatic breath. And when you exhale, you're gonna hum. And what that hum does, it does two things. It's gonna prolong the expiration, which is really important. So that helps cool down the nervous system. Out longer than in, right? Out longer than in actually activates parasympathetic. Out longer than in. Usually it's, it's, a, it's a one to two ratio. So if you breathe in for four seconds, you wanna breathe out for eight seconds. And that has a really calming effect. It's the two to one breath. It's very calming effect on, on the body and the nervous system and improves digestion, improves so many things. And so, but then that vibration as you hum on that exhale is gonna activate the vagus nerve, which is coming from your brain and it's passing on both sides of your vocal cords. 
And it's one way that we can get into that ventral vagal tone, which is so important for healing and for, for the gut to function. I have a whole section called turbocharging your results, where I first dive into the science of the vagus nerve and why the vagus is so important in controlling the state of the internal organs. And, and then I teamed up with meditation and breathwork uh, experts to create meditations and breathwork for the gut. Uh, one of the meditations I actually created myself, I started meditating when I was 21 years old. Uh, about eight months before I went to medical school, I got into meditation, breathwork, and yoga. So by the time I went into a traditional Western uh, medical school, my mind was just open and I was already experiencing these internal changes through the power of breath work and meditation and mindfulness that I, I had already realized the power that lies within beyond medication. We have our own drugs inside our body through the breath, through our, our stretch receptors in the lungs that we can regulate ourselves. And so that was a big influence on me and um, I wanted to, I decided to write a meditation. I call it the gut love meditation. And it's based on my experience with the Tibetan loving kindness meditation, where you send love to yourself and then to the world. Except I took that and instead I'm, I have people first start by sending love to their gut because what I, another thing that I've learned and found from working with uh, patients with gut health issues is that they often have a, an adversarial relationship with their gut. It's almost like they want to go through a divorce with their gut. And, and I want to reframe that and switch that thinking and get them to start sending love to that part of their body because love is healing. So this part of the book is called turbocharging your results. But it's it, and I and I tell people, you know, this is going to augment your results. But it's also non negotiable. It's a it's 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 actually part of the plan. It's something that they need to do. And I hope that everybody who reads the book sees that and sees the opportunity. Um, I wanted to create a variety of, of options for people so they can also intuitively find what is it that speaks to you? You know, I've been meditating for more than half my life. I have not meditated the same way that entire time. I changed the meditation. I changed the style. I changed my breath work to meet me where I'm at at the moment. So I wanted to give people a variety of options and see, and I tell them, you know, see what, what is it that feels good to you right now in this moment and use that as your tool. And if, and if you get to a point where it feels like the tool isn't working, then go back and revisit and use a different tool, use a different style of breath work, use a different meditation. Um, because you always have to just, you know, the body's always shifting. You have to meet yourself where you're at. And part of what I want to teach people is to be really intuitive about, you know, being embodied, being in their body, connected to their body, so they can read and know what their bodies are telling them at all times. Nice. That's great. It sounds like, I feel like we're, we're at the tip of the iceberg and that we could probably, well, you wrote a whole book, right? So we could probably dive into this for hours and hours. So I think what we should do is, is probably tell people where to find you because this is the start of the conversation. It's not the end of it. You've started to give them tips, but I think that to really get a full sense of it, they need to work with you. So how do people find you? 
They can go to gutsmartprotocol.com and there they can learn about my book. Uh, they can learn more about me and what I do. Uh, I think most importantly is, you know, get the book and read it and start doing all, all the pieces of it because everybody wants to diet. Everyone wants to be told, okay, what do I, what do I do? So I have the quiz. The quiz tells you if you're mild, moderate, or severe. That divides you into different meal plans. It, I have food lists for all different levels. So I, I solve the problem that a lot of people come in and ask me, like, well, what do I eat, doc? You know, and they think, well, you've taken gluten away. So what do I eat now? I'm like, well, there's a ton of food out there that you can eat, if not gluten. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think and the thing that I've taken away from what you're talking about is the body is so... Uh, dynamic. And so we do want to meet it where it is and keep changing. So we'll make sure we put that in the notes. And um, I think on behalf of Ed and I, like, thank you for this, because this is a great start to the conversation of how do you heal your gut? And so to the listeners, thanks for being with us. And to you've been listening to Dr. Vincent Pedre. And thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Today. Thank you. Inspire and empower someone else by leaving a five-star review. So they can transform their lives too. 